right, it's David Pollan. This is the hot button number 80, Jason Kylar, Malice in Warnerland. How much damage can Jason Kylar do to Warner Media on his way out? That is the question. Well, the real question is, how long will John Stanky allow Jason Kyler to keep making quote-unquote bold moves that devalue the asset he is counting on to generate a lot of success in the near future under new leadership? It's often hard to separate legitimate, bold business decision-making from the actions of an arrogant, willingly destructive leader of a cult of personality. This last month or two, there were two major stories in two different entertainment businesses that are forcing this distinction out of the carefully constructed invisibility. One in the NFL is Stephen Ross, Miami Dolphins owners, firing his team's head coach, Brian Flores, to the shock of 95% of interested observers, professional and amateur. The coach had just brought his team, very young team, from a 1-7 start in the last season to a 9-8 finish, just one win from the playoffs. It was his second straight winning season, the first time a Dolphin coach had achieved this in two decades. His defense was top-ranked in many categories. So why did Ross fire him? He refused to say. <laughs> but after the shock firing, a series of rumors started floating around the media, accusing Flores of not being enough of a team player, being too brusque, and suddenly being alleged to desperately try be trying to find a new quarterback to replace their high draft pick quarterback, after who has a 15-8 and record over two seasons, after we spent the entire season hearing that it was Ross that was pushing that agenda. Here's some quotes back and forth. Did you consult with other executives before you made this decision? There is a group of folks that you would expect to be involved in this from a legal standpoint and an HR standpoint. Question, but did you consult with other executives, maybe the ones who've taken over, about this decision and the effect it'll have on the company? Answer, I'm not going to answer that question. Question, does that mean no? Answer, I am not going to answer that question. Oh, and sorry, that exchange actually wasn't with Stephen Ross. That was with Jason Kylar in an exchange reported by Dylan Byers of Kylar in conversation with the CNN staff in Washington after he cut Jeff Zucker's throat just before Zucker performed Ritual Seppuku for the media yesterday. Specifically, it was an exchange with Caitlin Collins, the White House chief correspondent who was meeting Kylar for the first time. <laughs> ah, for the long ago days of Kylar's Wall Street Journal profile, all the way back in May 2021, when he said, my job as a leader is to provide context and rationale and explanation behind the change. Hmm. Yesterday's shock exit by Zucker has been a party for gossip journalists, sex, a lie, and no videotapes, but they all got to churn through the long and gossip public history of Zucker's romantic relationship with his deputy, Alison Golkust, Golist, excuse me, I don't know how to pronounce her name even, not coerced sex or harassment, not a career effort by Golist, Golist, whatever, not even a marital affair, but some don't believe that they actually started having sex after their mutual divorces, but I'll put that aside for the moment. It's not really relevant. As for the base, at the base, Jason Kylar pushed the button on an enemy who was sure to continue in leadership after incoming David Zaslav when he was negotiating his severance, Kylar's severance, at the end of a massively compensated attempt and failure to modernize and grow Warner's. When he was asked for details about the choice, all Kylar would offer was boilerplate, boilerplate bullshit. Stephen Ross pushed the button on a successful and ascendant coach by almost every measure. When asked for details of his choice, all Ross would offer was boilerplate bullshit. It was Ross's legal right to fire his head coach for pretty much any reason. It was Kyler's legal right to fire Jeff Zucker for failing to disclose a romantic relationship with a business subordinate. Because, you know, it's always about the subs for Jason. But both men appear, from even a short distance, to have damaged their franchises with choices that do not seem to smell pass the smell test. I personally believe, without any proof, that Ross fired Brian Flores because Ross had a plan to bring Jim Harbaugh to Miami 
hatching a billionaire brain plan to hide what he was taken from his alma mater, Michigan, by having Harbaugh interview with Minnesota first. The Minnesota Vikings, that is. The issues of racism amongst NFL owners, the focus of Flores' subsequent lawsuit, are obviously real. But in Russ's zeal for the object of desire, Harbaugh, I believe he mistakenly unleashed a force that may end up costing him his NFL franchise. Like every movie villain, he thought he had the victim in a position where silence was the only option. Oops. But I digress. Jason Kylar is an 800-pound gorilla as long as he has his job and seems perfectly happy to destroy Warner Media to maintain his image as a forward-thinking leader of vision. He is the reason why top executives are shockingly locked out of their computers and walked out the doors of offices with a box of stuff when they have nothing left to lose, as opposed to lingering around for month after month. I have not been a Kylar fan during his Warner tenure. Project Pop- Popcorn was absolutely a loser, no matter, how many, no matter how many media geniuses have bought into Kylar's spin. The idea of trying day and date as a tool to build a streamer? Not insane at all. Wrong, but not insane. Unlike Universal, which took advantage of the virus to push its shortened window interest, Kylar acted without really working out the consequences beforehand or really having any plan, except for bold action. The first movie to lose on this was the first movie they pushed day to date, Wonder Woman 1984. But as wrong as it was, I was like, okay, try something. But even before Wonder Woman 1984 opened, they had pushed forward with the entire 2021 slate. No idea what the status of COVID would be through the year. No idea what the numbers on Wonder Woman would be. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you believe it's just a couple hundred million, I would counter that Legendary alone got more than that. Thrown at the wall to see what would stick. Kylar's insistence on being right about this strategy but not being flexible enough to maximize the upside for the company in the fall of 2021 with Dune and The Matrix Resurrections. Both movies end up doing almost triple what they did in the United States internationally, where they were mostly released like quote-unquote normal theater, normal theatrical releases. Of the four big openers that led to a record October, Dune was the only one to fail to open to over $10,000 a screen. Regardless of Project Popcorn, it was decided pretty early in 2021, before summer was over, that Warner's would go back to a theatrical first model in 2022. The relentless insistence that Project Popcorn worked is belied by the reality that if it had actually worked, there'd be no reason to abandon it in 2022. But my current feeling is that Kylar may need to be be fired before the Warner Brothers Discovery spinoff happens. And this started with Kylar's media tour to sell the success of Project Popcorn, leading to this pronouncement. Here's in quotes again. Think about when movies would show up on HBO, which was eight to nine months after theatrical premiere. The Batman, coming up May, March 3rd, I think. The Batman is going to show up on day 46 on HBO Max, CEO Jason Kylar said. That's a huge change from where things were in 2018, 2017, 2016. I feel really, really good knowing that The Batman and Black Adam and The Flash and Elvis and a whole host of other movies are literally going to be showing up on day 46 on HBO Max in a variety of territories over the world, he added. That is a very, very big change that I don't think people appreciate and I feel really good about. Would you please shut the hell up, Jason? If you're selling HBO, yeah, it is a benefit that movies are coming to the service much more quickly. Yes, absolutely. But is this good for Warner Media? Does this maximize the value of the content in which Warner Media has a direct financial stake? What did the two biggest hits of October 2021 share? Neither one announced the VOD date or streaming date or a physical media date within weeks before or after their release. 
No Time to Die, the Bond movie, went to premium VOD just 33 days after theatrical release. Very quick. Probably too early, as I've said repeatedly. This is experimentation in the period of COVID, so you got to kind of look away. There's nothing inherently wrong with a choice, even if it isn't the best choice, ultimately. But the point was, my point was, they announced the November 9 PVOD release on November 7th at the end of a $6 million fifth domestic weekend. The film lost 5% of its screens for that sixth weekend, the next weekend, and 21% of its per-screen average. Yes, 88% of the film's domestic gross landed in the first five weekends. But the question remains, how much more was there if they let it run without PVOD at that point? MGN went for the Thanksgiving POVOD dollars instead. Venom Let There Be Carnage went to PVOD on November 23, 54 days after theatrical release. Also home for Thanksgiving. And when was that announced? On November 17th. Neither film did a million dollars over a weekend at the box office after they hit PVOD. So the chicken and the egg question is still an ongoing debate. Dune, the Warner Brothers movie, did $108 million despite a day-and-date release and in face of a very heavy prove-it feeling in the marketplace. Not only did the film get rave reviews, but critics repeated, almost like a mantra, you need to see it in a theater. The sense I have for most people I spoke to in October was that the word of mouth was exceptionally strong. Still, the film dropped like a stone in theaters, 62% the first weekend, then 52% in weekends two and three. I believe that Dune would have played strong through a soft November if Warners had had a normal theatrical release. I can't prove it, and no one can prove otherwise. Did Warners believe in Dune when it landed? Don't have any idea of that. But we do know they'd already paid Legendary out, of, out for the day and date during the summer. And once that happened, there was no going back. You got Kylar absolutism. It's all very lovely to have favored children. But when you're so obsessed with one child over all the others and are willing to do damage to the institution that you've built that promotes your child's interest, one child's interest, over the others. You have trouble. And now Mr. Kyler goes to Washington to kill off an executive who's wildly controversial already, but who has a loyal team and, as noted before, is reasserting his passion for the work under soon-to-arrive new leadership. And when questioned by the staff, a bunch of hard-charging reporters, Kyler basically takes the fifth time after time after time. Quoting him, I felt that this was the right course of action, full stop. I commit to you that this was carefully thought through in terms of each scenario and every possibility. And in the end, that this decision that I came to, and I am comfortable with this decision. Uh-huh. Kylar's beginning to look like Eddie Murphy breaking stuff at Torchy's, the Redneck Bar in 48 Hours. Look at here. <laughs> Fucking heard of him now, man? Problem is, Kylar seems to think, or wants you to think, he's always the good guy in the story. And Reggie Hammond's character, played by Eddie Murphy, is the good guy in that movie in many ways. When faced with someone who's not a sucker, he's an honest crook. But one of the tensions in the movie is that he is always motivated by his own interests. He wants his money. He wants sex. He wants to keep his sanity and pride till he gets out of prison. Getting the bad guys is never really what he wants in this movie. He's forced to confront them and get what to get what he wants and what his partner wants. Kind of partner, not partner. Specifically not partner in that movie. Not partner, not friend. But he never becomes pleased with the idea of confronting the bad guys. He knows they're deadly, and if he can just sneak away with what is his, he'd prefer it. But going back to Torchies. Well, look, I think you're on your way to being out of business, all right? Let's see what we can fuck with next. Hey, man, all right, okay, okay. That question goes right to John Stenke. What will Jason Kyler fuck with next that'll make David Zasloff's new company weaker at birth? 
two or three or four months of someone is smart and apparently vindictive and comfortable not answering for his decisions as Kylar is a long time. Look at what he's been able to do in just two years. And I don't just mean failing utterly to fix the tech problems with HBO Max, which I now have to sign off of and sign back into every time I want to use it on my TV. I mean, what surprises next? What scores does this kind, gentle, benign genius Jason Kylar want to settle before he gets his high eight-figure payout? I really don't know. I don't think they'd let him sell the rights to Harry Potter to Comcast or to throw $600 million at Disney to buy partial rights to the Avatar sequels or or to greenlight a Citizen Kane remake focusing on Jay Penske. But I would be surprised if there wasn't at least one more surprise to come before Kylar rides off into the sunset to Amazon or Apple or some international company where they'll pay him $75 million a year for a few years before closing the division they hired him to run. Until tomorrow.